Good evening, everyone. Thanks for being here. Uh, I've been gone for a couple of weeks for different reasons. We were in Kansas uh, for one reason. I don't remember why. I was wedding. That's right. It was really hot and muggy. <laughs> um, and then we went camping for a week. We were over in Bandon, and a lot of people from the church came, and we had a really good time. Um, it was cool. It was 30 degrees cooler over there, so it was really nice, and no smoke. So, but here we are, back to smoke and heat. But it's good. We're, we're glad to be able to be here and be back tonight. I was really grateful that um, Dave Holst and Brandon filled in for me for a couple weeks here. Um, so that was, that was nice that we didn't have to just stop and not be able to meet still, so... Uh, it's one of the blessings of having uh, people in our church and our elders that are able to, to teach um, and willing to teach. That's a good thing. So they were teaching on different things while I was gone for a couple weeks, and we will return tonight back to the book of 1 John, uh, if you have your Bibles. And so you can turn there. We left off in chapter 5. Um, we had actually just gotten started in chapter 5 last time I was here uh, a couple weeks ago. And we looked at the first five verses of that chapter, where John reminded uh, his Christian readers that they are overcomers. And what he meant by that was that they, being in Christ Jesus, through faith, have overcome the world. Why? Because Christ has overcome the world. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, in John 16, 33. Christians have done the same by, by trusting in Jesus as their Savior, by being in Christ, we are overcomers. We have overcome the world. And uh, the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is very important. John talked about that last time. That, that title for Jesus is important. It was part of John's statement about believing in Jesus, that we must believe He is who He says He is. He is the Son of God. It is um, by and through him that we are saved. Not by anyone else, not by any other name holding some other title. Uh, he has emphasized belief in something very particular. John has emphasized belief in something very particular if you are to be assured that you are a child of God. So we ended last week with what was said in verse 5, giving us the clear line of exclusive belief. John said in verse 5 of chapter 5 in 1 John, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And as we look at verses 6 through 12 tonight, uh, we will see that John is building on those last words um, from verse 5, that Jesus is the Son of God. In particular, John is going to give the people reasons to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's read out our passage for tonight. That's in 1 John chapter 5. And um, if you have your copy of the Word of God, we'll go there now, starting in verse 6 uh, of chapter 5 through verse 12. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, 
For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll dig into our passage. Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for the ability to come and gather, for the place to come and gather, that you have blessed our congregation with a building, with a place to come that's cool, and to enjoy fellowship together as we open up your word and read what you have said. We ask tonight, Lord, that you would humble us before your word, that our our thinking would align with your word, that we would be submissive to your word. Um, And Lord, I do desire that you would place in our heart a, an interest in waiting for you and relying upon your word as we sung earlier. So we are blessed and privileged to be able to gather together around your word so that we can uh, acknowledge what you have said in our lives and that we can submit to that. We praise you for it. We thank you for um, the gift of fellowship. We thank you for the church. And we thank you for your graciousness and your kindness to us in offering salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. All right. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John made that statement about Jesus, but he finds it necessary to continue uh, to explain who he is talking about. Okay? Doesn't everyone know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or at least that he claimed to be the Son of God? I think even some heretics and other unbelievers would agree that Jesus at least claimed to be the Son of God. Not everybody would agree. And not that they, those who believe that he made that claim, not that they believe his claim, but they would acknowledge the claim was made. And considering the Gnostic heresy about Jesus that we've talked about in in weeks past, um, John is going to give more evidence Okay? In fact, I think John takes this opportunity uh, to give his readers, including you and me, the best and most trustworthy evidence there has ever been that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And John does so by focusing on a word that we see eight times in six verses in two of its forms. In, in these six verses that we'll look at tonight, we see this, this word in some form eight different times. It's quite a lot for this, for this short passage. And you can see uh, that word is testify or testimony. As I read that passage, you, you heard that several times. It is this testimony that John gives as evidence for believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So since John is focused on testimony, I want to look at this passage and break it down uh, into three questions about the testimony to help us learn from the text. Okay, The first question to ask is, who is the testimony about? The second question is, who or what is testifying? And the third question is, what is the message of the testimony? Those are the three questions we'll look at tonight. Let's look first at our first question. 
which we have the answer to in verses 5 and 6. Who is the testimony about? I think this is the easiest of the three questions, and I will emphasize it as I read those two verses, um, and it's abundantly clear. If you look at verses 5 and 6 with me, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. You can hear the emphasis there. You can hear who it's about. It's about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. John had already introduced Jesus as the subject in the previous verse uh, and continues to talk about Jesus in verse 6. But Jesus remains the subject of the testimony in the rest of the passage as well. Verse 9, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Verse 10, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Verse 11, this life is in his son. Verse 12, whoever has the son and whoever does not have the son. We see those two themes in verse 12. So you see, the testimony is about Jesus. There's no escaping that fact. Okay? John wants us to understand something about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what he wants us to understand. Okay, that, that is the answer to the first question. That was easy. Um, that, and like I said, that's, that was the easiest one. That was the easiest question to answer. And the second question is a little more difficult um, but I think it will become clear to you as we move forward. The second question is, who or what is testifying? Okay, who or what is doing the testifying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And we can, we can quickly understand by reading verse 6 that the answer to the who question is the Holy Spirit. We see it right there in the text. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. But the question I asked of our three questions is, who or what testifies? There's something else. There's more here. The reason for the what part of the question is because it says there are three that testify. Of course, the overall answer that we need to remember uh, is that all truth is revealed to men through the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is truth, as we saw in our passage at the end of verse 6. But God is the one who reveals truth to men. So I want to look at a couple of examples of that. Peter declared who Jesus was, not because he had figured it out. In Matthew 16, 15, and 17, Jesus asked a question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, so Peter declared that. Verse 17, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Another example, Luke 24, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. This is what Jesus had to do for his disciples. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He revealed the truth to them. Lydia needed the same work of God in her life in Acts 16, 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. God does a work in people's hearts that they can hear, they can receive the truth of His Word. 
Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. John 16, 13, and 14. And that is what God is doing in the what's that I mentioned, right? Who or what is testifying. God used some what's to testify about Jesus as well. And I want to look at those now. But as we do, keep in mind that, that it is, it's even in the what's. It's even uh, in the physical or visual things that God does that the Spirit is actively revealing truth to men. He, he testifies to the hearts of people regarding what they are seeing and experiencing. So if the Spirit is the who in this passage, what are the what's that testify? Open question. What are the what's? 1 John 5, verse 6. Water and blood, right. Okay? Now this portion of Scripture can be confusing because we don't have an explanation from John regarding exactly what he's referring to. There are differing ideas among biblical scholars about what John is referring to here. Some teach that uh, water and blood, as he's talking about here, refer to um, the crucifixion account where Jesus is on the cross and his side is pierced with a spear and water and blood flowed out. Um, instead of breaking Jesus' legs, which was the custom to speed up the death process, they pierced his side with a spear uh, and water and blood flowed out. And that was to fulfill prophecy that none of his bones would be broken. So they did something different for Jesus. They didn't know they were fulfilling prophecy. They just they, they did that, and it fulfilled that prophecy that, that none of his bones were broken. But this testified uh, more to the fact that he was physically dead. Okay? Some teach that water and blood refer to the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper for believers. Baptism being the water and the Lord's Supper representing the blood. But these are more, uh, I believe, a testimony from the church to the world and not from God to the world. I mean, overall, it's from God to the world, but this is a testimony of believers to the world. For instance, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 about communion. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this testifies to what Christ did for sure, but not specifically that he is the Son of God. It, it doesn't exclude that, but that wasn't specifically the teaching there. And the other main thought on this is, is what I think is the best biblical explanation for what John is referring to. It is that water refers to Jesus' own baptism, and blood refers to his sacrificial death on the cross. And you may be inclined to go home and study this section yourself um, to gain deeper understanding of the meaning, and I encourage that. But I hope to show you good reason for believing that John is teaching the latter of these ideas in, in this section. John said, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. At the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry, he was baptized and declared to be the Son of God. At the end of his earthly ministry, he submitted to a bloody death on a cross and was also at that time declared to be the Son of God. And we find, we find that testimony in both of those places. And that's what John is getting at. 
Remember, testimony regarding Jesus Christ as the Son of God is, is John's focus here. Let's look at the testimony as it relates to the witness of the water. Okay, the water is one of the three. Let's look at the testimony there. Question first, what, what was John the Baptist's role regarding the Messiah? What was he doing? What's that? Preparing the way. That's right. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He was calling people to repent because Jesus had come. And he declared, when he saw Jesus, what did he declare? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was, this was John the Baptist's role. He, he ushered in Christ. Christ comes, he declares who he is. He was baptizing people in water, um, calling them to repent of their sin. But then Jesus comes. Jesus tells John the Baptist to baptize him. How did John feel about that? Right, yeah, he, John the Baptist was, his first reaction was not, great, yeah, I'll baptize you, Jesus. Uh, his first reaction is, whoa, wait, you should be baptizing me. Uh, Jesus wasn't a sinner who needed to repent of sin and, uh, and be baptized. Jesus needed to be baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. If you want to turn to Matthew 3 with me and hold that spot for a little bit, because we're going to look at a few things there. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 15. I want to look at a couple different things there. And in, in verse 15 there, John has protested the fact that Jesus wants, to, wants him to baptize him. Okay, John has protested, but Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Okay, so Jesus told him, it's fitting for us to do this now. Do this, do this thing now, and, and John the Baptist consented to that. And this is how Jesus publicly identified himself with, with sinful human beings. Um, he wasn't a sinner, okay, but he was fulfilling all righteousness. He was being obedient to the Father. Now, here's where we get to the testimony regarding Jesus uh, coming by water. Okay, let's look at what happened in the moments after Jesus was baptized there in Matthew 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So here comes the Spirit of God to rest on Jesus in the form of a dove. The Spirit, now, in, in physical manifestation, in the form of a dove, has come to testify about Jesus. And it was not only Jesus that that saw this, right? John the Baptist would testify to seeing it as well. In John uh, 1, 32 and 33, uh, says, and John bore witness. Okay, and here's what he said. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. John the Baptist, with his own eyes, saw this happen. It wasn't just Jesus that saw this happen. In verse 33, in, in John 1, it says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 in Matthew 3 is also something that John the Baptist heard and witnessed. Okay, we're still on that subject of the water. He saw it. He heard it. 
as did anyone else that was there for this event. God the Father was testifying about His Son to all who were there, and now to us as well as we read the Scriptures. Look at Matthew 3, 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. They all heard it. They all saw it. The Spirit of God descending like a dove. God the Father speaking from the heavens, declaring that this man was no ordinary man. Right? This wasn't just another person getting baptized. Which of the other people that John baptized had a dove come down and land on him? And, and then the heavens open up and the voice of God comes booming out. None of them. Right? This was Jesus. This was the Son of God in whom God the Father said, I am well pleased. This was a special event. This was an occasion where God the Father was testifying as Christ came through water, and He testified through His own voice and through His Spirit. So John the Baptist could later say, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So God, not only does God Himself testify this is His beloved Son in whom He is well pleased, but because of seeing it, because of hearing it, now that testimony can go forward as well from those who saw it. And John the Baptist did so. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is how the water testified, right? The water is the occasion of the baptism of Jesus accompanied by God's own testimony about His Son. Okay, what about the testimony as it relates to the witness of the blood? All right, let's go to some specific events around the, the crucifixion and see that there are some miraculous events that take place there as well that testify, right? There's, there's darkness, there's tearing, there's earth shaking and rocks splitting, there's dead people coming to life. There's all these, all these events taking place. Turn to Matthew 27, if you would. <clears throat> Matthew 27, and we'll start in verse 45 to look at this. And first we'll look at this subject of darkness, okay, the, the darkness that took place. Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So why is it significant that there was darkness over all the land? Why, why is that a thing? Okay, but at that moment, I mean, that's a true statement. Jesus is the light. At that moment, why was it significant that there was darkness over all the land? Okay, yeah, that is, that is a part of this, that God turned away. There's, it's a symbolic thing here with this darkness, that God turned away from the one bearing sin. Another reason it's significant is it's the middle of the day, right? It's the middle of the day, and using the Jewish system of time, the sixth hour would have been about 12 noon. So middle of the day, darkness. It was never dark at 12 noon. So this is... This is a notable thing, a notable event that all of a sudden it is dark. 
at noon. You imagine what you would be thinking if you were there. This is, I mean, nobody said there was going to be an eclipse, right? Um, I don't know how exactly God did it, what, what it looked like other than it was dark. Did he just cover the sun? Did it just move down? I don't know. Well, the sun doesn't move. Well, I'm not going to get into all that technical stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, darkness. This was, it was never dark. And by all accounts, up until this point, you know, this perhaps to most people there would have seemed like a regular run-of-the-mill crucifixion. Uh, you know, people were used to seeing crucifixions. The Romans were used to crucifying people. But now there's darkness. Something's different here. Something's happening. And this did symbolize that God had for, forsaken the Son, the one who's bearing the sin of the world as, as a sacrifice. And Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? Complete darkness in the middle of the day. This is God's testimony about His Son. What about tearing? What was torn? The curtain, the veil. Yeah, the temple veil, torn. Look there in in chapter 27 of Matthew again, verses 50 and 51a, first part of 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His Spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And there's been a lot written about the size and the height, the thickness of the veil uh, that was in the temple. It was hanging there, separating the Holy of Holies. And the point of this sign from God was that there is no possible physical way that a human being could have torn that heavy, tall, thick, woven veil from bottom to top, from side to side, let alone top to bottom. But that's what happened. It was an impossibility. And, and this symbolizes the new reality that, that the way to the presence of God is now open through Jesus, through His shed blood. And it's described in Hebrews 10 as the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. This is God's testimony about His Son. What about the shaking and, and rock splitting? Matthew 27, 51b, the last part of 51. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. As if darkness in the middle of the day wasn't scary enough, now the earth begins to shake so violently that, that rocks are splitting. This is it's no ordinary day. If, if you weren't convinced at that time and it wasn't an ordinary day, now you're being convinced this is no ordinary day. No ordinary crucifixion. You can imagine the terror building as these events unfold. The people were there. They, they saw it. They heard it. And this is God's testimony about His Son. If those things were not sufficient testimony, there is what followed, right? Dead people coming to life. Matthew 27, 52 and 53, the tombs also were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Okay, they're not just some unknown dead people, right? These, these are described as saints. These are believers who had already died. For them to come to life and to show themselves to the people that knew them after, after the resurrection of Christ was probably confusing, terrifying, maybe baffling to those who knew them and knew that they were dead. And when Christ rose from the dead as the 
first fruits, and, and these followed and appeared to people. Paul talked about this in, the, in his discussion about the resurrection from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised, if in fact, Christ has been, sorry, that's a different verse. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Christ was the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. There is a resurrection of the dead, and Paul has a whole discussion about the truth that there is a resurrection. But this, these people who were dead, coming to life, this is God's testimony about His Son. Supernatural events, supernatural things happening around the event of the blood of Christ. It says God's testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. Darkness in the middle of the day, the impossibility of the veil being torn, the earth shaking and rock splitting, the dead coming to life. This is the proof that, that God used these, He used these what's, right? These physical things, these things happening to testify. And look at the response to these things from a man who was there. A man who had, by all accounts, didn't believe in God. A man who was involved in putting Christ on the cross, involved in crucifying Him. He was a Roman centurion, a leader of soldiers. And he went from a place of unbelief or indifference uh, to a place of testifying himself about Jesus Christ. What did the Spirit of God reveal to this soldier? Well, the Spirit himself testified according to Matthew. Matthew 27, verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Right? Truly, he said, this was the Son of God. And it wasn't just him. It was those that were with him that witnessed these things. They, they said the same thing. They agreed. But the water and the blood testified in these ways. Very specifically, they testified, testified about the fact that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. The centurion and the others didn't just come to understand this on their own. They didn't just decide this um, because someone said some things and convinced them. The Spirit of God testified to their hearts through these events. There was no other conclusion they could come to other than this was the Son of God. John writes about these events themselves as witnesses in our passage. You can go back to 1 John. He's writing about these what's as witnesses, as if they were able to give testimony in court about the truth of who Jesus was. Right? So John writes in verses 7 and 8 in our passage, For there are three that testify, verse 8, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Okay, what do they agree on? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They testify to that fact. Look at the next two verses in our passage, verses 9 and 10. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whatever Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. John is almost being sarcastic here, or, or you might say he was rebuking them a bit, right, by saying, you'll easily believe the testimony of men regarding earthly things, unimportant things. You believe those kind of things. 
But this is the testimony of God himself. Right? It's greater on any topic. But this is the testimony concerning his son. There's no better topic. There's no higher topic. If you're ever going to believe any testimony, this is it. Right? Why? Verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed. In what? In the testimony that God has made concerning his Son. God has testified about his Son. If you believe it, that is because you have the Spirit of God within you, testifying. If you do not believe it, you have said God is a liar. And you're not his child. You're lost. That's the same distinction John's been making throughout this letter. Those who are saved, those who are not saved. No matter what they claim. Okay, If you, have, if you do not believe it, you have said God is a liar. Those are our first two questions regarding the testimony. Who is the testimony about? Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Who and what is testifying about this? The Spirit, the water, and the blood. Now let's finish with our third question to answer regarding testimony. What is the message of the testimony about Jesus? And we find the answer in our last two verses. Verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the answer to the question is twofold. Right? What is the message of the testimony about Jesus? God gave us eternal life. That's the first part. And the, that eternal life is given to us that God gives to us is found only in His Son. It's a two-part message there. You have eternal life, and the only way you have eternal life is through the Son, the Son of God. John has been repeating this truth over and over in this letter. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. They've not believed the greatest testimony that God Himself has ever given, and it's regarding His Son. And the gift that he offers sinners through belief in his son as the atonement. And as John has said earlier, as the propitiation for the forgiveness of our sins. And we can know. Remember, this is a theme in in John's letter also. We can know. And that is why John wrote this letter. Verse 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. We, we can know. That's why he wrote this, and, and we'll look at that next time as we get into the next verses. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you again for this time. Thank you for your word and this reminder of this great testimony that you have borne concerning your son. Father, you spoke it from the heavens. Your spirit lighted on him. Other people testified to it as he followed in obedience in baptism. And Father, as Jesus went to the cross for the atonement of our sins, to be the propitiation, Father, you did supernatural, miraculous things 
to testify about your son. You caused darkness in the middle of the day. No one else can do that. You tore the veil. No one else can do that. And those things send a message, Lord. And especially the message of the torn veil that you have made a way for us through the curtain that is the flesh of Christ, his sacrifice. You have made a way that we can approach you with boldness, not with arrogance, Lord, but boldness because of the, uh, the effectiveness of the work of Christ on the cross. We thank you for that gift. We thank you, Lord, for the miraculous things that you did to testify. Earthquakes, rocks splitting, the dead coming to life. No one else can do these things, Lord, except Almighty God. We thank you, Lord, humbly that, that any of us that have come to faith in Christ, Lord, that you chose to reveal that to us. We did not discover it on our own. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that indwells every believer. We thank you, Lord, that we can, be, we can rejoice in our salvation. We thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice that it is secure, that it is held by you, kept by you. What an amazing, merciful, and gracious gift you have given. Help us to praise you forever for it, Lord. Thank you for this evening. Praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.